morning. It's a, it's a privilege to, uh, to share God's word with you this morning. I, I always look forward to the opportunity that I get. You know, uh, some memories stick out. When I was 15 years old, I needed to learn to drive a standard transmission, and my dad was going to teach me how. I needed, a standard, I needed to learn to drive standard because uh, the vehicle that I was going to be driving when I turned 16 was a Chevy S10 pickup with a standard transmission. And so I needed to learn how to do that, and, and I began my lessons with my dad in the Hayes High School parking lot where I promptly burned the clutch out. And uh, once we got that replaced and uh, kind of got a little bit a better handle on what was going on, we, we uh, learned to drive in other places. Uh, in those days, we lived in Kyle, and in, and in those days, if you wanted something in Kyle, you had to go outside of Kyle to get it. Uh, if you needed groceries, go to the movies, eat at a restaurant, things like that, you had to go to either San Marcos or South Austin. And so my dad began to teach me how to drive standard in some of these locations. One of the places where I learned how to drive is, is uh, over there by Barton Creek Mall in South Austin. So you've got Mopac running through there, 360, uh, Highway 71 runs through there, and you've got hills and highways and stoplights and all sorts of things that, that I'm having to learn because I'm going to be driving there very soon. Um, over there, there's this street, and you might know the one that I'm talking about. It, it runs parallel to 71, and, and this street is like a straight-up hill. I mean, it's like straight up. And at the top of that hill is a stop sign. And so some of you kind of groaned a little bit, and you must also know how to drive standard, and what a frustration that is to have a stop sign at the top of a hill. If you've never driven a standard vehicle before, uh, the deal is when you're stopped, if you don't get that thing in gear quick enough, and you, you let off the brake and don't get in gear quick enough, you're going to go backwards, which is all fine unless there's a car behind you. Uh, and so I'm at the top of this hill. I've got to learn how to get that thing in gear. Why did my dad take me to this difficult spot to teach me how to drive? Because he knew that one day I'd have to do it myself, and I needed to learn how. We began a series last week at the table, and in this series we're studying, we, we noticed a couple of us were reading through the scriptures, and we found in the Gospel of Luke there seemed to be a lot of, of eating scenes, meal scenes in, in Luke's Gospel, and, and what we notice is that as we look at these, Jesus provides in a lot of different ways in these meal scenes. And so we're going to Look at one of those today. One of those in, Luke, in Luke's gospel is, is a memory that sticks out. It, as a matter of fact, it's, it's one of the only, it is the only ministry miracle that occurs in all four of the gospels in the New Testament. It must have been a memory that stuck out to the apostles and to the eyewitnesses because it shows up all four times. And, and you probably know this story. It's so memorable. It's so popular. It's a famous story in the Bible. It's the feeding of the 5,000. And we're going to look at that story together in Luke chapter 9. The disciples are learning the provision of Jesus because he's about to go away and leave these guys in charge. They need to learn some things before the stakes get higher. You know, sometimes God teaches us lessons in small ways 
so that we're more prepared to use that skill in bigger ways in the future. And we, we learn it when it's not so bad so that when the heat turns up, we're practiced and we're ready. Well, in Luke chapter 9 today, we're, we're going to discover that Jesus often provides in ways that we don't expect for things we didn't know that we needed. We're going to look together. Uh, look, Luke 9, we're going to begin in verse 10 where Luke gives us the setting for the miracle. It says, on their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Verse 10 gives us the setting for the miracle. It says, on their return, the apostles told him all they had done. If we're going to be careful readers of the Bible, and we started reading that story there, we might wonder, on, on their return from where? And if we're going to be careful students of the Bible, all we have to do is move up a little bit and, and look at the top of Luke 9, and what you'll see is Jesus has sent these apostles out on a mission trip. Jesus has spent his time preaching the kingdom of God. He spent his time healing and doing miracles. Now he's sending the apostles out to do their own mission trip. Other gospels tell us he sent them out two by two. And they go into the surrounding villages to, to do two things, to preach the kingdom and to heal. Now they have returned. And it says that they told Jesus all that they had done. When I was a teenager in the youth group, we would go on a mission trip, and when we came back from mission trip, that Sunday evening, we would have a mission trip share service. You ever participated in one of these? The, the youth that went on the trip would be on the stage, on the platform, and they would share with the church, who all came that Sunday night, share with the church something they learned, something that was funny, um, something God did. All sorts of things they would share with the church and the youth pastors on the back row just praying to Jesus that the kids don't say something stupid, right? Well, what we have here in Luke 9 is, is we have a mission trip and then a mission trip share service where the apostles have returned from their mission and now they're sharing with Jesus everything that they did. Here's what happened. Here's something funny Peter did. They're just kind of sharing what took place on this mission trip. And then the text says that Jesus took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. Some other gospels tell us that, that uh, Jesus and the disciples needed a minute. They were tired. They needed a break. And so they, they go to this town. This town, Bethsaida, is not a... Uh, it's not a booming metropolis, but it's also not the middle of nowhere. And, and as we kind of piece together what the other Gospels tell us, that they didn't really go to the city as much as they went to like a, a prairie outside of the city. Uh, so they were in that region, but they were in this, uh, what we find out later, is a desolate place. That they, they went because they needed some rest. It had been a busy time of ministry, and they needed a break. Well, their rest and relaxation doesn't last very long because look who joins them in verse 11. When the crowds learned it, they followed him. 
he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Verse 11 shows us that the crowd figured out where Jesus was and they followed him there. If you have ever hidden in the closet from a preschooler because you just needed a minute, you know how Jesus felt in this moment. You're like, I just wanted to eat this Snickers and not have to share it. And there you are. <laughs> right? You know. But how does Jesus react to the crowds? I don't want you to miss it. Look again. It says, he welcomed them. Jesus could have been annoyed. He could have been frustrated. He could have sent them away. He could have let them stay, but made it abundantly clear how, how much of an inconvenience this was in this moment. He could have tolerated their presence, but been kind of annoyed the whole time. But that's not how our Lord responds. It says he welcomes them. In the same way, this morning the Lord welcomes you. He welcomes you. You are not a bother to him. You are not, you, you are, uh, not a bother. He's not too busy. He doesn't have other priorities, things that are more important than you. No matter your condition, no matter your need, the Lord Jesus this morning welcomes you. And the Lord welcomes these people in this story. He ministers to them. And, and as things go, a, a need arises. Look in verse 12 where we find the need. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. Verse 12 tells us that the day began to wear away. It was a long day of ministry. It wasn't just that Jesus ministered for an hour or two. He spent the entire day in ministry and this as the day passes by a, a need arises and the disciples discover that the people need to eat they need a place to stay the day is done they want to send the people away to get food and to find shelter uh, the disciples th this seems reasonable this is a reasonable thing that maybe even a compassionate thing that the disciples have come up with. They're thinking of others, but Jesus has other plans. Jesus has found a teachable moment because look how he responds in verse 13. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now, I've read this story a lot. And I kind of wonder, why did he tell them that? He knew they, they couldn't do it. He knew they didn't have what they needed to accomplish this. Why does Jesus say this? There's an old business management axiom I heard one time. It, it says, uh, never waste a lunch. You got to eat every day. You may as well meet with somebody, get something accomplished during lunch. And I think that's what Jesus is doing here. Now he, he has found a teachable moment. He's going to teach his disciples something. The, the story is more than just the miraculous meal. I want you to hear that. It's more than just the miraculous meal. He wants to teach them a lesson. And so he says, you give them something to eat. 
Well, the disciples are confused. Look how they respond at the end of verse 13. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. The disciples are confused. And I I think sometimes they're given a bad rap. Like we we read the story, we we read the gospels, and we, we think that the disciples are always confused they always miss the point, but, but if you put yourself in, in their shoes in this moment, you can kind of see where they're coming from, right? You, you understand where they're coming from. Jesus, you're not paying attention here. Have you stopped to look to see how many people? Have you looked, Jesus? I'm sure Jesus frustrated those guys all the time. The text tells us that they had no more than five loaves and two fish. And one of the other gospels tells us it was, it was barley loaves, which apparently people don't like to eat. And so their, their response is, Jesus, have you seen how many people? Look, in verse 14, it says there were about 5,000 men. One of the other gospels tells us, plus women and children, which we could do some math and we could say as many as 10,000 people. And so the, the disciples, their, their instinct is, is really there's two options. We can share what we have, which is, five loaves of of food that people don't like to eat and two fish, or we can go and we can buy something in town for 10,000 people. And and one of the other gospel writers tell us that would have cost seven months' wages. Can't do it. You know, I've spent two separate weeks at at youth camp this summer, uh, Camp Zephyr. There's about uh, 600 people there. I've seen what food for 600 looks like. I can't imagine what food for 10,000 looks like and the disciples can't either they've got two options share what they have or go buy food neither of those seem to be viable there's one option they didn't consider though one thing that they failed to do is to ask the master maybe they Maybe they should have, though. Like, maybe they should have known better. And we, we get on them for getting dense, like, for being dense. Like, why, why didn't you just ask Jesus? Yeah, that's right. We are the same way. Because, listen, have you ever encountered an impossible situation and thought, this is hopeless? It's hopeless. And you fail to realize that our God is able to save and deliver and heal and restore anything he wants to. Listen to me. When, when you're all out of options. Listen. When you're all out of options. God is able. But this. In Luke 9. Is an impossible task. And Jesus knows it. He wanted the disciples to see the whole thing for what it is. You give them something to eat. We can't Jesus. What you're asking of us is impossible and it's as if jesus says i know so watch watch and what we see is in verse 14 we see a miracle look what it says at the end of verse 14 it says and jesus said to his disciples have them sit down in groups of about 50 each and they did so and they had them all sit down Jesus has them sit down in groups of about 50, which 
You know, that's 100 groups. That's some simple math for an early morning, you know? And if there were 10,000 people, that maybe 200 groups. That's incidentally probably how they counted. If you were wondering how did they know there were 5,000, did somebody sit there and count each person? They count the groups, do some math. It's not that challenging. Um, but what I want you to notice is the disciples wanted to send the people away. What did Jesus do? The exact opposite. He had them sit down. You know, sometimes the Lord's priorities are different from what seems logical. Well, he organizes them into groups, and this maybe takes a minute. And then look in verse 16 what takes place. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, and he said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Jesus blesses the food and he breaks the bread. This is something that Jesus kind of, this was a habit of his. This is something that Jesus used to do all the time. This language of of blessing the food and breaking it and giving it, this language shows up two other times in Luke's gospel. Uh, One time it shows up is at the Lord's Supper. We're going to look at that in a couple of weeks. Jesus blesses the food and breaks the bread and gives it to those present. This also happens at the end of Luke's gospel. Uh, Last week, Pastor Allen took us through the story of the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, and Jesus ends up in their house, and they have a meal together. But the disciples, they don't recognize Jesus until when? He breaks the bread, he blesses the food, and he gives it to them. Oh, that's something Jesus used to do. This is Jesus in front of us. That is a habit that Jesus has. We see it show up here in Luke chapter 9. Well, the details aren't spelled out. But the food is passed out among the people. And and it's probably something like this. You know, each disciple, there's 12 of them. They've got a basket. They go over to Jesus and they fill their basket with food. They take it over to a group of 50. Well, you can't put food for 50 in one basket. So when that basket is empty, they take an empty basket over to Jesus, and somehow there's more food to be had. So they fill another basket, and, and they take it to a group, and they're back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And before they know it, they look up, and every single group is eating. And now they're waiting tables. They're going around and checking to see if everybody's okay. They have everything they need. And, and people are like, no, man, I, I'm stuffed. Look what it says. All ate, verse 17, they all ate and were satisfied, and what was left over was picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces. Everybody ate and was satisfied. You know, there are some that would say, well, this isn't really a miracle of Jesus. What actually took place in this story was that they they shared what they have, and the lesson is that we should share what we have. And everybody just kind of took a little little bit but the text doesn't say that does it it says they all ate and were satisfied here in a couple of weeks we're going to have the lord's supper if you've ever had the lord's supper here and i'm sure other churches do it this way we're gonna we're gonna pass out little little cups with a little piece of styrofoam that we call a wafer on top some of you are gonna have a really hard time getting the the two flaps open you're gonna get frustrated I have never been in a worship service where we've served the Lord's Supper and someone in the crowd says, "Ah, I'm satisfied. 
That was really good. As a matter of fact, I can't finish my wafer. Would you like my leftovers? <laughs> I'm so full, let's skip lunch after this. I can't eat. Can't, it's not possible. I've never seen that. The text says that everyone was satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied, and there were leftovers. And each disciple has a basket of some leftover broken pieces as like a little souvenir of what Jesus had just done. It's a miracle. Jesus provided for the people in a miraculous way. Now, as I look at this story, I notice three things about Jesus that I know will be encouraging for every single person here this morning. The first one is this. Jesus knows. Jesus knows. In the story, he is aware of the need of the people. In the story, it appears as if the disciples informed Jesus, but, but we look at the story and we realize Jesus had a plan. He, he knew there was a need. Jesus knows, as a matter of fact, Jesus tells us elsewhere in another gospel, he says, your heavenly father knows what you need before you even ask him. So yeah, of course, you should go ask your heavenly father to meet your needs, but he already knows that you need it. Listen, I want you to hear something from God's word this morning. Listen to this. Jesus knows. He knows the struggle that you have, the hurt that you feel and have felt, the impossible situation that you're in, and you're not exactly sure how you're going to come out of it. Jesus knows. He's not unaware you are not overlooked. You are not forgotten. Jesus knows. And not only that, the second thing, Jesus cares. He cares. He not only knows the facts of the need, he also cares about the need because Jesus cares about his people. We see this in the text. He was tired, but he welcomed them anyway. A need arises and the disciples logically want to send the people away. Jesus has them sit down and he meets their need. He, he's not just, he doesn't continue to just cram his ministry down their throat. He meets their need because he cares about their need. He cares for his own. Now the temptation for us in this room is that when we encounter hard times, we want to ask, does God even care about me? I know he's aware of my need because I've told him a thousand times about it. I know he's aware of my need, but he doesn't seem to be doing anything about it. He must not care about me. But what we see, particularly here, but all over the scriptures, is that God not only knows of your need, he also cares for you. Well, the third thing that I see in this text is that Jesus provides. Jesus provides. He doesn't simply know about the need. He doesn't simply care about the need. Jesus meets the need. And we see this in the way that he provides for the crowds. They're hungry. They need food. And so he provides food to meet their physical need. When we read this, 
in Luke 9, and we see this miraculous provision of food, if we, if we knew the scriptures really, really well, if we were immersed in them, we wouldn't be surprised by this. We would actually, we would come to expect it because what's happening here in the gospel is, is, is it's showing us that, that Jesus is the fulfillment of a line of prophets who have played roles in these miraculous provisions of food all along. Let, let me show you what I mean by that. In, in Exodus, the people of Israel are grumbling in the wilderness. They are, uh, they are a little dramatic, and they say, uh, we, uh, we would rather be dead in Egypt because at least there we could have eaten meat and bread. And God says, okay, well, let me provide for you in the wilderness. And Moses is this prophet who gets to announce to them, in the morning, you'll have bread from heaven on the ground. Pick up, it's everything you'll need for the day. And in the evening, there's going to be like an infestation of quail. And you can have all the meat. And, and later on, it says you're going to eat so much meat, it's going to come out of your nostrils. I'll give, I'll give you what you're grumbling for. And this miraculous meal takes place in the book of Exodus. In 1 Kings, the Lord sends the prophet Elijah to a widow's house in Zarephath. And they're in a drought. And Elijah shows up at this lady's house. And he says, give me something to eat. And she says, well, all I've got is a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And I was going to make some cakes. And me and my son were going to eat them. And then our plan was to starve to death because of the drought. And Elijah says, that's not what the Lord says. Because here's what the Lord says, you're, you're going to make those cakes and you're going to give me some and you're going to eat some and your son's going to eat some and your, your flour and your oil will not run out until it rains and you're saved. And that's exactly what took place. The prophet Elijah is a part of a miraculous meal. In 2 Kings, Elisha, who is Elijah's protege, he appears to a different widow and this widow has a, has a different problem that she owes money to a creditor and this creditor wants to be paid. He's going to take her sons as slaves. And she appeals to Elisha. Elisha says, well, what do you have to pay? She says, I just have a little bit of oil. And Elisha says, well, then I want you to go around the town and I want you to get all the vessels that you can find, all the empty jars that you can find and begin to pour that oil. And her son would bring her a vessel and she would pour the oil and it would be full and he would, he would put it down and get another vessel and and she would continue to pour oil, and it kept filling up over and over and over again. She says, bring me another vessel. And the son says, well, I don't, there are no more. And the oil runs out. So she's got all these full vessels, and Elisha says, go pay your creditors. A little bit later, Elisha is teaching the sons of the prophets, and they're all sitting before him. A hundred men. And a man shows up, and he's got 20 loaves of barley and some grain. And Elisha says, feed these men. And the guy says, I, this is not enough food to feed those men. And Elisha says, that's not what the Lord says. The Lord says, feed these men, and they're all going to eat, and there will be some left over. So if we knew our Old Testament really well, when we get to this story in Luke 9, and we see that there are hungry people and no way to feed them, but the Lord Jesus is there, we should come to expect, oh, he's about to do something awesome. Watch this. He's about to feed them. We should come to expect it. But Jesus often provides in ways we don't expect for things we didn't know we needed. Jesus not only provided for the crowds, he also provided for his disciples. 
Jesus is teaching a lesson to his disciples. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to be raised from the dead. And then he's going to ascend to heaven and leave these guys in charge of his mission. They're going to be in charge of Jesus' church. And so Jesus wants to teach them some lessons. He wants to teach them how to drive standard in difficult situations. And that's why Jesus tells them, why don't you give them something to eat? Their answer is, we can't. Of course they can't. But they've, what they've forgotten is that earlier in Luke 9, they had just been empowered to do miraculous ministry. Jesus had already given them the power, but they'd forgotten. And they knew the scriptures. They knew what Moses had done and what Elijah had done and what Elisha had done. They knew it. They should have known what Jesus could do, but they failed to recognize the possibility of the power of God, and they looked to solve their problem out of their own ingenuity. And so they needed to learn. One of the things they needed to learn was that their instincts can be wrong. Their instincts were to either send the people away or, I guess, figure out a way to pay for the food. That was logical. That made the most sense. But in Jesus' mind, that was wrong. The disciples needed to learn to trust Jesus and recognize the possibility of the power of God. In the same way, for us in this room, it is possible, maybe even likely, that our instincts about certain situations are wrong. Our eyes deceive us. When we look at a situation, we, we may look at it and we would say, that's hopeless. That's impossible. I don't see a way through it. I don't see a way out of it. I don't see a way around it. It's too hurtful. It's too impossible. It's too expensive. It's too difficult. I've been wounded too much and I can't deal with this. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I messed up too much. I'm too much of a screw up. And our instincts scream impossible. But is anything too hard for the Lord? He makes a way when there is no way. The people of Israel were, were trapped against the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army was coming against them. And what did the Lord do? Is anything too hard for the Lord? He split the waters and the people of Israel walked through on dry ground. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I know that God is able because he has already accomplished the most impossible thing. Our sin has made a separation between us and God. But Jesus died for our sin so that we place our faith in Jesus. We can be reconciled to God. If, if God can make a way for Israel through the sea, if God can, if, if God can reconcile us to himself, then surely he is able to provide for you in your moment of need as well. We need to learn to submit to the word of God before we submit to what our eyes see. What seemed 
impossible to the disciples was possible with God. That is something we need to learn to live by. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Their instincts were wrong. Another thing they needed to learn is they needed to learn that in order to accomplish God's purposes, they needed God's power, not their ingenuity or creativity. God's power. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Did you notice at the end of the story? They did. They gave the people something to eat. But it wasn't out of their creativity, their ingenuity. It wasn't out of their resources. Jesus was the power. Jesus was the engine. And they did give them something to eat. That's a lesson they needed to learn. Jesus was going away. He was getting ready to leave them in charge of his mission. And Jesus doesn't teach them ingenuity or creativity. That's not what he teaches them. He didn't even teach them self-sufficiency. That's what my dad was trying to teach me when I was learning to drive standard, self-sufficiency. Jesus is actually teaching his disciples the exact opposite, dependence. He's teaching them to depend on him. The disciples didn't know they needed that lesson, but that's the lesson Jesus was teaching Have you ever been in a situation when you needed God to come through? Maybe you're in that situation right now. Like, like you have no other hope unless God acts. Like, I don't know if I'm going to make it to tomorrow unless God comes through. Maybe it's something with your health or maybe it's relational or, or something at work or financial or, or a spiritual matter or something in your family. Can you think of a situation where you needed God to do the miraculous. See, the, the crowd find them, found themselves in a predicament. They needed God to do the impossible. They followed Jesus to the middle of nowhere, and Jesus continued his ministry until it was too late to do anything about it. Likewise, the disciples found themselves in an impossible situation. They've ministered all day long, and they had a group of of people there. They were responsible for these people and they had no nowhere to go to sleep and they had nothing to eat. And they couldn't provide it. Whose fault was this? Who who caused this? Who who pushed the, the day so late? Who's responsible? Who knew this was coming? And who had a plan all along? I think sometimes God brings us to difficult situations to teach us to depend on him. And I've seen time and time and time again in my life when I walk through difficult circumstances that God is teaching me to depend on him. When I find myself in a situation where I'm not sure how I'm going to make it, it's like I'm stopped at the top of that hill again. And I'm not sure how I'm going to get that that break off and that gear engaged without going backwards. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. And the lesson that needed to be learned by the disciples is dependence. That's the lesson that we need to learn. 
that the Lord leads us through difficult circumstances to teach us to depend on him. As I think about my life and all the, all the difficulty that I've been through personally, I can say two things for sure. Jesus has never left me, and he's always carried me through. I see his hand when I think back to when I was in my last semester of college and I wasn't sure how I was going to make ends meet. I was, had an internship that was a free internship. How do you pay the bills with the free internship? I wasn't sure, but the Lord was with me and he carried me through. I think back to when uh, my wife and I were first married and we moved a thousand miles away from home where we didn't know anybody. Neither of us had a job. We didn't really have a place to stay. It was a bad choice. (laughs) But the Lord was with us. And he saw us through. Time and time and time again, he has been with me and he has carried me through. He was faithful to me in the past. I know he will be faithful to me in my present. And I know that he will be faithful to me in the future. He's with me. And he's always carried me through. And you need to know that the things on the horizon for me and for my family are big things. Some might even say too big. But what I've seen in the past is that the Lord is with me. And he's always carried me through. I have no reason to doubt that he won't continue to do that. I wonder if anybody needs that word this morning. He will never leave you. He will always carry you through. He's worthy to be trusted, and in your difficult seasons, he's teaching you to trust in him. If you can say, he's been faithful faithful to me in the past, then you can say, "Then, then I know in some way he'll be faithful to me now. So this morning, here's what I want you to know. Jesus knows. You are not forgotten. He's not unaware. He knows about your situation. He knows your struggle. He also cares. It's not just that it's on his radar. He intends to do something with it. Do do you hear what I'm saying? He intends to do something with it. And here's the third thing. I, I need you to know this. Jesus is able. He can provide. It it may be in a way that's different from what you would expect. But Jesus loves you. He loves you. And he knows what's best. And he has a plan. And he is able to do abundantly more than you could ever hope or ask for. And he will never, he will never give you second best. Never. Never.